Welcome, everyone, to the Rhetorical Leadership Podcast. In November 2022, I had uh, a discussion with Dr. Richard Leo Enos that we published about uh, Kim Perlman's theory of argumentation. We had initially planned a second episode on Perlman, but Dr. Enos was sadly no longer available for health reasons. I therefore approached Dr. Stephen B. Katz from Clemson University, who kindly agreed to fill in for Dr. Enos. We ended up having enough material to fill several episodes, and I decided to do exactly that rather than having to cut away too much helpful material. What you will hear in this episode is an excerpt from a wide-ranging discussion on Perlman. And in this one, particularly, we uh, discuss Perlman and Albert Stiedtke's argumentation category titled Quasi-Logical Arguments. These arguments, as we discuss, rely on some of the most basic cognitive patterns that humans use to make sense of the world. My guest, Dr. Stephen B. Katz, is a Pierce Professor Emeritus of Professional Communication and Professor Emeritus of English at Clemson University. His creative and scholarly interests range from ethics in technical communication to the nexus of rhetoric, poetry, and science. He has conducted rhetorical analyses of ideologies of new technologies, conventions and ethics of styles in biotech and medical communication with the public, and the materialities and uses of language in different forms of writing, in religion, and in, in digital media. Most recently in publications, he has been experimenting with poetry as psychagogic explorations in sonic rhetoric, and poetics as legitimate forms of post-human knowledge. And now, on to the episode. So you can choose to present an idea in different ways, but the way you present the ideas also has a certain inherent logic in it um, that may even uh, change your change your argument or the effect your argument has. And right. so if we look at the quasi-logical arguments, what he's saying here, as uh, Richard Enos pointed out, he's not saying these are less valuable than logical arguments. He's just saying they're similar to logical arguments. It's not like quasi-science. Uh, they're they're similar, but they're not less valuable. It's just a different different form of logic, where uh, the the logic that drives formal logic is it has to be consistent. If it's not consistent, then it's nonsense. Right. Whereas in this case, it's we're talking about some basic uh, ways of thinking that um, lie, I think, at the heart of. Uh, the, even children have it from the very beginning of uh, <laughs> of uh, of their thinking uh, forms in our minds that um, we we just approach the world this way in very many ways, and so some of the quasi logical arguments uh, one of the, one of the main ones I would say is just the basic structure of uh, contradiction or incompatibility or where we say inconsistency right something is consistent or is it inconsistent. Um, just the basic experience of night and day, right? These contrasts that we experience, or the the shock in a dog's eyes when it suddenly gets stepped on accidentally. It looks up at you and is like, "What was that for? <laughs> that was not yeah. expected, right? That was As inconsistent screech, with how you've been treating me." <laughs> right, right. As they screech in the only language that they know. Right. <laughs> and so, and so that. Even you know animals have this. Like this is a basic structure of our of our thoughts, and yes, yep. there's a certain sense that uh, that things and facts and people should be consistent, and the breach of that leads to uh, 
contradiction or incompatibility. Um, and mm-hmm. and so you have uh, versions of this just, you know, um, Bush's ad against uh, Kerry, right? Whichever way the wind goes. He voted for Iraq. He wanted, voted against money for Iraq. He voted for this. He voted against this. Um, and the as he, as we said, it, the 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 idea here is to kind of create a kind of ridicule or a sense of this is a person that's not consistent, and you don't know what the core of their personality or their uh, ideological persuasion is. Right. Because right. integrity uh, requires a certain amount of consistency. Is what we what we implicitly believe. Right. Right, right, and and and, and again, I'll, and I don't want to harp on this, but the inconsistency could be at the level of style as well as content, or in conjunction with content. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can. I, I wrote a piece about um, the biotechnology communication with the public, which I've done some work on, and you know, you had uh, the Secretary of Agriculture say, "Oh." biotechnology is is the is the greatest thing you know it, it's the tip of the iceberg and i and you know and then he continued on to extend that metaphor a little bit and i or analogy and i uh, two two things we'll get to and i and i pointed out in in my writing and he was, and a speechwriter was right there at a at a conference at uh, the american uh, association of science the aas um uh, and I pointed out that well, after the Titanic, this is in such a great metaphor that <laughs> that that, that uh, biotechnology represents the tip of the iceberg. It's like, well, what's beneath then? You know, especially you know, depending on the audience and how they view it. Um, so that inconsistency can be right there in the style, um, and that's where I, in biotechnology and in risk communication. Um, you know, communication of of science with the public, mm-hmm. and find a lot of inconsistencies. A real power struggle. Thinking about Burke's War, the wars, a real power struggle be, between terms, but even even basic diction, basic word choice, mm-hmm. and you know, um, transparency is an openness of communication, and you know, and then you have openness and visit, you know, and repeated in various forms um and then right beside it you have all uh, you know terms about like belief systems and affect and they they actually form two completely different categories uh that are incompatible mm-hmm. and that war that inco- is going on at the level of style which may or may not be apparent to anybody but it definitely affects communication as you see with the NIMBY response and not in my backyard and uh, uh, dealing I mean, with... I mean, things like this can be even, um, you know, you see it very quickly sometimes in mixed metaphors when they're mix, mixed up, right? Where so it's like, this is a part of a web of a web of corruption that uh, that uh, is uh, forms a blot on our modern on our modern society. It's like, webs don't form blots. <laughs> Spiders yeah, don't have ink. <laughs> And Orwell in uh, language, politics, and thought, mm-hmm. right? You mentioned Orwell before in relation to Burke and tuberculosis, um, which is interesting since Burke was kind of a hypochondriac. But we won't we won't go right. there. But you know, he would pick up on the health health, health issues. Yeah, 
I, yeah. I, I was, uh, my favorite form of the uh, argument of inconsistency is like when the inconsistency is in the sentence itself, what we call yeah. an autophagia, right? That's uh, where the argument eats itself when a rule is incompatible with the conditions or consequences of its assertion or application. And that one example they have in the book is, as I said, when they were singing the Marseillaise and the, uh, the policeman came on stage and says, nothing can be done here which if it's not in the program. And just like, you're not on the program. Get off the stage. <laughs> yeah. um, hey, that's beautiful. That's such a beautiful example. Others, you know, uh, they, I mean, the, the, the positivists, the, their basic claim, right, says to be meaningful, a proposition must be either analytical or empirical. And that very right. sentence in itself is neither analytical nor empirical. It's a statement, a statement of preference, right? It's, it, it eats, it eats itself up. It's, uh, it's, it's made by them, and they're, they're not following their own rules, right? That statement right. was not empirical or, or uh, analytical. And preferences uh, uh, and the reasonable arguments to get there are part of what the new rhetoric is about. Um, I was going to say, you know, that Orwell, you know, the example that he uses, and that this informed Orwell informed my language heuristic too. The, the the thing that Orwell says as a mixed metaphor is the the octopus has sung its swan song. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you know, think about this literally, which is often what you have to do to make a sentence or a phrase opaque. Think about it literally. Can an octopus sing a swan song? How do those two things go together? They are two incompatible categories of thought and wording that are being fused, to use another Perlman term, and they don't belong together. And you know, and yet uh, somehow we accept them. But uh, and some of them become baked in, as Perlman says, into our speech. But well, and yeah. also, also like the postmodern claim that all knowledge is subjective. Because the thing is, all knowledge is subjective. That's that's an object. That's a statement of objective reality, right? That's yeah. that's a, an objective statement about all knowledge being subjective. Right. It's <laughs> like that's because because it then situates the the observer of all yeah. this knowledge being subjective on an objective plane above all the subjective knowledge. So it, it's yeah. it's, yeah. it's it, in, incompatible with itself, really. It's incompatible, it, and to use your phrase, it eats itself. Now you've mentioned eating three times, so I'm I I know it's close to your dinner time in Norway. <laughs> I think we're going to hear more references to food as we go as we go along. Um, I wouldn't want to analyze my own my own style, but um, it's a great skill to have because you can really see what people are thinking you know what the style reveals things that they don't mean to say um i mean but, i mean um, philosophers love this uh arguments of incompatibility because like for example kant saying that um that essentially criminal gangs are inherently uh contra inherent contradictions right because hmm. they rely on a certain um uh, character of the other people of the core conspirators but uh, that but they they don't have that character because they've lied to others right so they're criminals and so you can't oh. trust other criminals so in, in some ways any all criminal gangs are an inherent contradiction yes. in the sense that they have they are they're walking contradictions because they um yeah they, they've they've broken the rules that they want that they 
rely on to adhere to some kind of to be able to cover each other's back essentially right you know this is a this is a very uh interesting I mean, beginning point. of uh of uh, of uh, batman where with the joker is a very good example of that right where every single uh, thief has been told to kill the other thief that's uh, participating in the bank robbery at se separate parts of the robbery <laughs> <laughs> well i would know no i'm only kidding i uh a batman you know i go it's into my childhood with the cartoons um uh, but you know what you're what you're pointing to is an interesting part of the um, quasi quasi logical arguments, um, um, because what you see here is you're talking about um, incompatibilities that exist in the language, in the rhetoric, in the in the rhetoric of the reasoning. Um, whether or not um, it, it, these things are inherent in nature, you know, you know, which or in essence or in form, pure forms, which we 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 can't know, and that's a that's a sophistic position. And as you mentioned before we began, you know, um, uh, both uh, Perlman and Albrecht Teitecka um, studied and met met in uh, met at a class on the sophists. Um, um yeah so but but uh, you know this you see it this so the, one of the one of the subcategories under this uh, quasi logical argument is arguments by comparison mm -hmm. and what's happening is that you really have this kind of and Perlman talks about this somewhere maybe later in the book but a sort of parallel um not i'm gonna i'll this is my wording par, absurd parallel universe um and you know for burke i mean most of our lives are lived um in the realm of symbols symbolic action right i mean we we change people's opinions we change we we classify things very important point we classify things we express causality um, and we live on in symbols. Most of us don't hunt for food anymore. It's there's levels and levels and levels of processing um, uh, of symbolization, if you will. Same thing with money. You know, we, you know, we yes, we value this coin, or this rock over that rock because there's less of that rock. Mm -hmm. uh, I know it, old a fortiori argument from Aristotle, but but. You know now, I mean, uh, you know, we have we 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 operate at such a high level of symbolism, of symbolic interchange and action, um, that that's really where our reality is. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know, Burke does a great job of capturing that kind of drama, that rhetorical drama in in his dramatism in the Pentad. And here we have it um, in Perlman. With things like you're talking about, you know, ridicule and identity and and, and analysis and tautology and the rule of justice, which you were just talking about, uh, arguments of transitivity, transitivity, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, inclusion of parts and wholes, um, arguments by comparison, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's really taking place in the in the comparison and. One of the amazing things, and one of the things I wanted to mention in relation to the arguments by comparison in under 
quasi-logical arguments, is that most of our knowledge, and, and, and Perlman makes a, a distinction that then <laughs> disappears later in the book between comparison and comparison like built into analogies and metaphors so this is this is uh you know comparison as it as it as it exists sort of uh, holistically i guess um but the idea that that most of our knowledge is based on classification mm-hmm. um is based on the all, identification. all thinking is sorting right that's what uh, that's yes. the famous quote by i exactly. richards yeah, by I. Richards, who plays another role, and right. yeah, but but you know, but it's really wild because if you think about you know arguments by comparison and especially arguments by analogy are usually considered the weakest arguments. Then the notion that well, actually, analogy is a form of argument beyond induction and deduction, um, and and their limitations, um, and usually we use all of them together. But you know the idea of like, well, our first the first thing is sorting the mother's face from reality for the baby, you know, and 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 the identification of similarities and similarity is a major to- uh, to topic in classical rhetoric as well, right? And then from there, showing um, relations, um, cause. Um, uh, causalities but incompatibilities and it's the basis of like audience uh you know it's like um definitions based on education based on class based on whatever right it's all it's all classification and then the you know you show relations it's very much dialectic Hmm. um you know it's it's really following out what what plato wanted in the phaedrus right um you know analyze divide analyze show relations whether the causal or other uh and then the effect um of those relations and of course you can also show compatibility and incompatibility but but it's based on it's based on classification which is fundamental and it's a basic basic uh the, the role of discernment, right? So just to be able to see that something is similar or something is different. It's just a very, very early uh, uh, part of our brain, maybe even before we were born. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, justice systems and laws and I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. You that's know, how, that's that's what it spreads into, right? It uh, spreads into. And that's what Perlman's doing. And so let's yeah. just uh, just to deal with those individually. I mean, so he says one thing he does with each of these is saying, okay, well, here's an incompatibility, but that an incompatibility doesn't have to be fatal, you know, for humans. It doesn't have to be fatal. You can escape from contradiction by interposing time, right? Say, as Paul does, you know, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. They did all those things, right? Now I'm an adult, I'm adult right? So things have changed, right? So people say, like, hey, it's... You said you didn't have to worry about Russia, you know. <laughs> well, that was back yeah. in 1994. We didn't really have to worry that much. <laughs> but uh, and, things and have changed. Allies. Things have changed. Maybe we should have and worried we the whole allies. time. <laughs> yeah, we were allies with Russia. I mean, one of, it's, it's amazing. In, in, the, in the war on terror, right? Right, yeah. and also and also in the war on Hitler. I yeah. mean, so, yeah. you know, it's so it's so funny the way that now the United States is the close ally with Japan. Hmm. I mean, how is it possible, it, you know, if you're looking at it in real terms, that things could change so radically 
and it's because it's all symbolic relations and, and, and you know, input intervals time things grow things developed in certain ways and so yeah. and so an incompatibility you can say like yeah i've evolved on that issue as so many politicians say right um, this reminds me of, this reminds me of burke too hmm. um with, where he talks about how is it that 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 something can exist in two as two things at once or more like like judas could be you know uh the ultimate traitor um in in uh you know giving up uh jesus and betraying him and yet also be the instrument of salvation um because without judas you wouldn't might yeah, not have you may not have this the uh, the atonement yeah yeah yeah, and you know, and and it's just so, you know, in in U.S. history, you know, Richard Nixon um, goes from being a president to being a traitor to being someone who's admired from a distance, right? Historical <laughs> distance, right? Um, but for some people. Um, Donald Trump is a savior for, uh, I hope, a vast majority of other people. Um, he he's antithetical to democracy, and and you know this is, uh, I mean, it, it, there's a culture war going on. That culture war is, uh, is again based on classification. Um, uh, so, but it, but anyway, time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so you can interpose time and say like, well, that's time has made a difference. I've changed. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm incompatible. It's incompatible. I've changed according to the values that I had, or if I've got new values now. Uh, you can also, of course, insist on the situated nature of the decision. I heard this all the time during the Iraq War. Right? You wouldn't, uh, uh, you wouldn't try to quarterback uh, or uh, armchair quarterback the decisions of a platoon leader who's got you know shots run ringing all around him trying to save his troops, etc. Right? Um, that that in the situation it seemed like a logical thing to do. Obviously, looking back, maybe I would have done it differently. But in the situation, it there are certain pressures in a situated decision making that will not be there objectively in the same way if you just look at it objectively. But everyone oh. recognizes that. And so because of that, we can say, yeah, in extreme circumstances, I would do extreme things, you know, <laughs> even if that's incompatible with who I am when I'm relaxed, well-fed, not under threat. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And it's, it's just, it's just the paradox of, of human nature that it's, it's really a, for people outside that or different audiences, it's really hard to come to terms with the fact that human beings can become cannibals in in, in dire situations, um, uh, you know, cannibalistic, or um, that you know, how is it that Germany and World the War Turner II, Company, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, such a, such an evil Donner party. Yes, right, right, right. Or I'm thinking about, you know, a, 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 you know, Germany and Berlin, the heart of civilization, can, and suddenly, can be, yeah, yes, and 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 now and now Germany is one of our, both Norway and the United States, a, a close ally. Yeah. So at a at a literal real level, if these things were real entities, these things would be impossible. Uh, I don't know what the world would look like if we lived in a world of real entities that never changed. You know, right. ideal forms in the real world, which you know science is always trying to find, but it's always qualified 
um, which is another thing we can talk about later. But <laughs> and, and you know, and 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 it's not for the public. The public doesn't qualify, and that's a real that's a real problem. Um, um, but but you know, it, it it's it's because we live in we live in this realm of symbols where where classification and arguments by comparison and the part in the whole and all of that becomes very important, becomes fundamental. It really is the ontology. Rhetoric becomes an ontology. And of course, the the last resort of a lot of people is to simply hide or deny incompatibilities, right? Uh, right. So lots right. of money used to hush up Hush payments, uh, other things, right? <laughs> um, right, that's right. With, with the re rewriting of Russian history to prepare the people for war, right? They they had to hide the incompatibilities of, um, you know, Putin himself recognized the Katyn mas massacre of all the yeah. Polish intellectuals um, and the Molotov, you know, the Ribbentrop Molotov. Uh, uh, you know, agreement to to divide Europe between the Nazis and the commies, the communists, and <laughs> afterwards you can get to jail for mentioning these things, <laughs> even though these are the official words of Putin himself, right? So this incompatibility has been wiped out uh, right. as much as possible from Russian consciousness in order to not um, distract from this goal and to to not complicate the narrative of of Russia as the the savior of civilization right and it really relies a lot on the human ability uh, and some would say to forget uh, or to have to have this this what would you call it double think or this kind of like this uh, cognitive dissonance that you just live with live with the cognitive or completely com compartmentalize and put that over here and this is over here and you know it, it's wild and I used to do this to my students we'd be right in the middle of this really high-flying discussion and I would say I just want to make you aware that right now there are there are people all over the world starving to death there are people who are at war we're having the houses bombed and we're here in a very privileged position discussing Plato, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, that, but we couldn't live with ourselves with, with, or, or we would all try to do good. I don't know, you know, without <laughs> compassion, we constantly be aware of, of the horrors all the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, we'll, we we're all to compartmentalized to a certain extent, right? Very much so, yeah. and this is not irrelevant to to what Perlman's talking it's a, about. It's a survival mechanism, yeah, yeah. It, it it really is, and rhetoric is that part of that big part of it. Um, it, it makes it makes living in the world possible, um, and and advancement possible. You and, know, and so and, so move on. And and so, so move, to yeah. move on to the next part, uh, so he talks about that, obviously, there's the argument of, of contradiction or incompatibility. Um, then there's also definition, he says, is not, um, it's not just a creative act, it's an argument. When As soon as you define something, that's actually a hidden argument. You've hidden the argument in the definition, right? So right. I've heard, for example, a lot of people say that a belief in God is not rational. But what is your definition of rationality, right? And so the the definition of rationality very often goes back to the positivists, which say that 
oh, any statement has to be empirical, analytical to be to be to be rational. And God, if you can't see Him, <laughs> then then therefore belief in God is not rational, right? So it's a very different rationality than that of Thomas Aquinas, for example, or that even that of Plato, right? Uh, and so and so the the definition often hides the argument, and then people use that analytically. They analyze based on the definition and arrive at the conclusion, which is really just a outgrowth of the argument <laughs> right yeah. they've they've just discovered their own uh their own definition in its extension um, exactly and, and that's extension. what what that's what kenneth burke talks about sometimes that you know we we think with these terministic screens that we have sometimes we think yeah. we see reality but really what we see are the insides of our glasses you know <laughs> yes we think yes. we've discovered the world is red but really it's just our glasses that are red Yes, yes, yes. Oh, well, you're speaking my language. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because, you know, in, in Socrates, you get Socrates saying, always begin with definitions so that you don't confuse your, you know, interlocutors, but also yourself. But the definition, as you say, the definition itself is an argument. It's an argument, I mean, yeah. And in the classical or something. And the, and the thing it, is, people are very often willing to give Socrates the definition. So he's already won the argument. <laughs> Has already from won. the very beginning, uh, as soon as he's able to define it in his in his terms, right? That's 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 it. And <laughs> and you know, even the classical or, or sometimes called Aristotelian definition, you know, where where it can be so very something very simple, divided genus and and differentia. So you know, a nova is a is a star that has exploded. You know, that's an argument, and and it relies on empirical evidence, which we may or may not have, and we're always trying to extend our abilities. We with and now with the James Webb satellite, you know, we can see further. And, I mean, I, I guess uh, that became like uh, more obvious when people were with the whole debate about whether or not Pluto was a planet, right? Yes. There, there was nothing yes. that was discovered about Pluto that was different that made it suddenly not a planet anymore, right? That was. It became a matter of definition, um, and really the question was: Well, they discovered other things that were similar to Pluto. So, do we want planets to become now degraded as a category so it becomes such so many different things, right? That's and right. so, right. either we degrade the category or we degrade Pluto. But that's a question of preference and value. And you'll still meet scientists right. today that say, like, no, I believe Pluto's a planet. That's that's the best category. That's the best definition. Right. <laughs> I think they found. I think the part of the argument, and and again, it's definite. It is definition, and thereby classification. Right? Pluto is a planet. Pluto is not a planet. Um, or a but dwarf I think planet. they found, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, objects that were bigger in the Kuiper Belt, which surrounds right. the entire solar system. And so the choice was either either all these are planets, or we need to uh, change our definition of what a planet is. Right. right. So either we degrade oh. the category or we degrade Pluto, and they chose to yes. degrade Pluto. Yes, and and you know, and and the rules of classification, which I also wrote up, demands exclusivity. It demands clear cut differences. You can't have something being in two categories, right. and it's it's fascinating, you know, in, in a way. And again, it points to the rhetoric of our thinking. Um, which I think the the, rhetoric, the new rhetoric does in such detail, and and I, I think that goes also to the next point, next category, which is the rule of justice, which yeah. really is the the principle, I believe, the cognitive ability that we have that lies at the basis of 
our ideas of justice, of equality, all these things. Um, at its very basic basis, as he says, the rule of justice is that beings in the same essential category should be treated in the same way. <laughs> right? That's that, that that's the basic. That's the basic of, and, and he he, he uh, Perlman specifically identifies this, but also Teka, that without being able to see similarity, and um, right. without being able to see similarity, the concept of justice loses its entire basis, right? And yeah. all our arguments about equality and justice they stem from whether or not are these the same or are they different. Right. right. That's right. And then people define that right. so that you have exclusions of various kinds. Right. So, uh, uh, are what what is the uh, what is the definition of white? Do Jews fit? Right. <laughs> what is the definition of human? Do uh, right. African American slaves fit? Right. What is the def right. all men are created equal? Do women's fit? Women fit in there? <laughs> So right in the the U.S. Constitution, you know, you have you have you know, um, uh, black black people as two fifths human. Right. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, um, you know, you have you have Hitler basing um, his division of t Jews um, types the of Aryans Jews, and Slavs, yeah. the, the Slavs race and, hierarchy. And, uh, mm -hmm. You know, partial, you know, half whole based on eugenics, which comes out of American, the, the, the darker side of American. Uh, well, I mean, uh, it comes from good science because the eugenics society changed name into the genetic society, but the same members were on the board. Right. right? Oh, so the American my. Geneticist Society is a, a, not just an outgrowth, but a direct descendant of the American Eugenics Society. Right, right. And, and so, eugenics used to be a form of science. You could study it at school. Uh, you right. could take doctorates in eugenics. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's incredible. And again, the way something, right, and we're going to classify here, something evil can be, become something positive or good. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, and, it, and the whole idea is, um, and I think it's worth to talk about because this is so central to all the debates of our times, of our, our current time, right? Is that, um, that the the central argument of a discrimination or bigotry, right? A bigot is defined as a person who strongly and unfairly dislikes other people, ideas, etc. Right? So the defining question is not the strength of this dislike, but whether or not the dislike is fair. And that's where people see things very differently, right? The central argument, for example, over same-sex marriage is not whether or not there's any difference between an, a man and a woman getting married or a man and another man or a woman and another woman, right? Nobody okay. says there's no difference whatsoever, no biological difference. The um, question is whether there's any essential difference between the two, right? Is there a fair um, dislike or disprivileging of the one or the other? Um, and then, and, and that, 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 that's, that, that is, that is the, the core of it, right? Right. And then what is the definition of fair? Right. Um, and in and who, in whose, in whose value hierarchy, right? In whose system. And yeah, yeah. so the, the tension is pretty well illustrated, I think, in the two meanings of the word discriminate, right? It can either mean to one, unfairly treat a person or group of people differently from other people or groups. Or two, to notice and understand that one thing is different from another. Like we discriminate light from darkness, right? That's the ability to discern difference. And so, 
and it's become a devil term, right? Because it means yes. to as to unfairly devil. treat someone. As opposed to a God term. Right. And, and no, ability to discriminate used to be kind of what we teach uh, people to do. To be able to judge means to be able to discriminate. You know, right. where things become really murky in this, and, 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 and kind of the classification, you know, rules start breaking down, um, is, 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 the, is, is sort of what I used to call a scale of persuasion, where, where, you know, people, it's not yes or no, black or white, it's usually somewhere in between, and it's hard to locate. Um, it's on, and, a, con on and, a continuum kind of thing. On a continuum, and of course, you know, the notion of hierarchy and appealing to different value sets that Perlman talks about later, but we'll get, probably get to it, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, works with this. Um, uh, and it's like, reminds me of Kenneth Boulding's The Image, where you have different values and which, which ones are you going to target? The ones that are deeply held will be harder to change. The ones that are more superficial will be easier to change. And how do you change them? And, you know, um, but, but, if you have someone, let's say, who's, you know, if you think of a, a spectrum where you have maybe listening as the central thing, and then everything else like understanding, believing, uh, accepting on the positive side, and then not understanding, not not listening, not believing, not accepting, or I think I messed that up, uh, and then hostility on the other. Mm -hmm. If you get someone who's hostile to listen, you've moved them like four or five positions over toward what might be some anyway, a positive, um, and you've succeeded even though, rhetor you know, rhetorically succeeded, even though there's no change uh, or a change, um, they're no longer hostile, say abort uh, debates about abortion. You know, if, and and that's you see the breakdown, um, and especially in the United States in the abortion debate, where they can't. It, I mean, the definition of life, it, it, that whole question has almost gone out the window, and now it's about political positions and ideologies, and mm -hmm. and 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 really um, extremely divisive. But of course, um, I mean, but, and, and also the, the, the challenge here is that in order to have any uh, ability to act, you need to be able to see difference uh, sometimes, right? So, for example, a lot of people have reacted to to the Pope and other people seeming to uh, put uh, equality between the aggressor and the um, and the victim in Ukraine, uh, within Russia and Ukraine, right? And that people say okay here are two people people fighting they should work it out right <laughs> and don't see a an essential difference it's like well when the russian saying well it's russophobia we're being discriminated against it's like yeah but you're different because you've done something different and there's uh people have reason to fear you <laughs> because of the things that you've been willing to do that's right that's right and you know and putin's response to that might be well you know we're under attack from nato and it's so interesting. I mean, obviously, made things not. worse than that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. he's not. But they're, you know, but but from a Russian perspective, 
I, you know, and I'm not, I'm, by no means am I validating Putin, never mind a war in Ukraine. I was going to say, like, they, 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 they say personally, we're here to destroy Ukraine as a an entity, right? And that that's also yeah. the one, one point where they were there, like, they can't see the difference or aren't willing to see the difference between Ukrainian identity and Russian. They say, like, Ukrainians are just Russians. They're, they're the same as us. They've just been seduced by the West, but really they're, they're, they're they belong to us, essentially. You know, I it, this makes me this. I don't know how you feel about this. I mean, people get a little. <laughs> it, it makes me despair. It, you know, it's a rhetoric that makes me despair. And then on the other hand, it's like our only hope. You know, mm. in a way, you know, the the ability to move some. I mean, to take someone like Jesse, no, like uh, Jesse Helms, who is an anti-abortionist, a racist, a segregationist. And to to get him to move him along that spectrum, where to point where okay he's not accepting it but he's listening that's a that's a major achievement. We have lost that in a lot of realms mm. that ability to even comprehend the other side or believe want to listen at all. It's just and I and it's a it's a kind of it's a calcifying of the classification systems that are embedded in Western culture, I, I think, and in, in, in cultures and in countries and in groups of people. Um, um, uh, and, 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 you know, where rhetoric no longer seems to work, even though rhetoric is undergirding the whole thing. Right, right. Right. So I guess, yeah, so I guess I, the question is one of, um, of, uh, as you said, calcifying layers in the, definitions becoming um entrenched um and because in some ways like for example someone says well uh, abortion is wrong because it's murder well that means that's that's just um what you will call a um a tautology right or essentially a uh um yeah isn't that the the tautology or the begging the question essentially by um yeah by by you essentially just uh, uh, you've essentially just redefined something. It's just like saying jogging is good. You should go jogging because it's good for you. You should go jogging because you should go jogging. So it's a it's a hidden tautology. Uh, abort- abortion is wrong because abortion is wrong, or murder is wrong because murder is wrong. Um, right. That uh, sometimes these definitions, I guess, or definitional systems, uh, are uh, become so ideologically entrenched that you don't recognize them as arguments anymore. You think That's of them right. as objective reality. That's right. right. And I can't help it. I have to point this out. <laughs> I can't help you that the idea of ideology is becoming entrenched. When you look at that statement literally, it's metaphorical, <laughs> right? The, an ideology become we this is this is something we do all the time and it's that other dimension of rhetoric and style well well i want to talk about metaphors so i'm going to build trenches and you've uh you've uh you, it parks yeah. back to the world world war two world war one right with the, the song and you, yes and it, yes and the, and yes in the marginal line and you you put you put stakes in that you've, dug in. you've dug in yeah it's just one metaphor after another. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I will get back to that. Very much related to the question of definition and classification and argument. And uh, we'll we'll leave the metaphor alone because that's later in the book. And the, the rule of justice, I guess, the, 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 is a lever that people can use to point out hypocrisy and injustice, right? Um, 
and uh, which is why you can say you can call someone bigot because you don't treat people the same, for example. And you said that they, the they should there shouldn't be difference. The question always is, what um, essential difference or or uh, difference that matters? Right? Is there? Um, is there? Are they in the essential same category? Are trans women women? Right? Um, mm. Nobody says there's no difference at all, but are, are the differences relevant? And that's that's where the big debates also among feminists are happening right now. Right, right, um, right. The uh, Sojourner Truth used this very effectively to argue about when they were talking about uh, women and the women's rights. And she was a, f- a former slave, right? <laughs> and said, like, aren't I a woman, right? And they said, like, <laughs> this this preacher here, the man over here says women need to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and made very clear. She, he's only talking about white women. He's not talking That's about women. Uh, and what, have the best uh, place everywhere. Nobody ever helped me into carriages or over mud puddles and give me any best place. And aren't I a woman? Look at me. Look at my arm. I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns and no man could head me. And aren't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it and bear the lash as well. And aren't I a woman? I've borne 13 children and seen them almost, almost all sold off to slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And aren't I a woman? Right. Woman. Yes. Just that, you know, it reminds me of Shylock's argument in the Merchant of Venice, Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice. Am I not a man? You know, not a human. But no, that, I don't want to go there. I want to leave Sojourner in her brilliance, like standing as the symbol of that. The whole, the whole uh, debate about whether we even see essences, you know, see or can experience um, the true nature of things, um, uh, you know, which goes back to debates about um, empir- you know, empirical empiricism versus um you know any of the philosophies Kant's a priori categories you know how is it that we see the, these things and um you know what we see i mean to my mind is characteristics attributes which are based on classification and they have right. nothing to do with the real nature of things which you know if if God exists, maybe God knows, you know, and and you know. I think I think even, at a, a transcendent level, I think the first we can get to is just recognize that we're all human, right? And so whether or not there are differences, male, female, even racial differences, these I think are important distinctions to maintain in certain times, right? Like like the critical race theorists they're saying like, look, if we become completely colorblind. We give. We don't have any ways of giving power to the oppressed, because right. we don't recognize that someone is uh, is uh, limited or being pred- being discriminated against, consciously or unconsciously or institutionally by their race. And so, because of that, we need to talk about race. We wish we wouldn't have to, but we have to talk about race. Um, in the same way right. as that, people say, "Well, women and men just experience the world differently biologically." Um, you know, we have we have uh, different ways of experiencing things. So these these differences are essential in some ways and needs to be need to be maintained. Uh, but I, th- I think in in some ways that on a very basic level, the rule of justice is we're all human and we should be treated as human. And humans have a, a statement of uh, value. I know a preference, but I think humans have innate worth as as something as a kind of miracle. And yes, and 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 there's and there's 
you know, rhetorics, um, positive um, contribution, wish, wish everybody would study it. Um, um, but, you know, and the idea of similarities and differences, two major dope boy, right? Because to see similarities, you have to see night, you have to see day, you know, to darkness light, to see similarities, you have to see differences and vice versa. And um, I think you're right about the leveraging, uh, you know, that's the part that rhetoric can, can play. Um, uh, I just, you know, I come up against the intransigence of, of people and the, of things, and and I and it makes me despair that, you know, we're we're here fighting war. You know, if I mean, if kindness were the were the ethics of everything, the world would be quite different than than it is. I can't believe this little speck of dust in this enormous universe, and we're fighting over the sliver of land on this you know on the speck of dust and killing people and hurting people and it just doesn't make any sense at all um we so narrow-minded in a transcendent so, view yeah in a transcendent from a trans yes or, schoolyard, or even these schoolyard scuffles that's why you know in the international space station they like the everybody gets gets along and they look at the earth and you know you get the overview effect which is like wow are we small hmm. and 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 what's going on down there you know and it's and that's just from a few hundred miles up that's what uh, Kenneth uh, Burke would call the upward way and the downward way right <laughs> the transcendent perspective argument uh, by yeah. transcendence well, um, like Burke is never far away no. um Oh, he's he's, yeah. he's where we met first, right? So, <laughs> but that's right. That's right. Yeah, the, that's the, right. the points uh, that uh, the Perlman or Bachtateko make is that the argument of justice, um, you can always make an argument whether something is essentially the same or essentially different, right? So that that's that's where the crux of it goes. So you can say, yeah. for example, okay, well, you're trying to simulate two different situations here, or two different categories, um, or two different uh, treatments. Right. Um, right. And there's there's also the argument of reciprocity, one which can be boiled down to one good turn returns deserves another. Um, <laughs> but then it's like, okay, well, how equal was what you did for me to what you right. want for want from me, right? You come asking me for a favor, and I give you an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, like, okay, I'll I'll help you with something, and then you give me whatever I asked for at some other point. <laughs> and so the the, the argument of reciprocity is similar to the rule of justice, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it essentially equates two beings or situations, and says yeah. that the same treatment is, um, is it, since there's a symmetry here, the same treatment is called for, right? Uh, right. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Right. Right. Basic. Right. right. Yeah, and 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 those statements and everything you just said is uh, is is rhetorical. I mean. You know, the idea of you have to argue that something is essential to make an argument based on essentiality. I mean, there has to be an assumption by the community that essence exists, that truth exists, whatever it might be. And this is, you know, this is a huge fact. We have to agree on what a fact is. Um, and we can't even agree on that anymore. Um, and, and the basic and there again is the question of 
is the symmetry that we see, is it real or is it just apparent? Right. And that's that's where we can always this argument can always be attacked by saying, well, the symmetry is apparent, it's not real. Um, right. yes, we were both in debt, but I owed ten thousand and you gave me that. You owe a I million owe. and I can't give you that. <laughs> right. Right. And and the interesting thing here, it goes this goes back to uh, classical rhetoric and uh, the disoi logoi, the arguing from different perspectives, and they can be contradictions and they can be both true, mm-hmm. which you know right so at at that point in our life 10,000 was all I had and that at this point in our life a million is what you have so it's everything for everything right Uh, it's the same amount of sacrifice because now our economics have have developed since then Uh, you know you know Cicero was an expert at this at arguing this him reading his speeches and just the way the way and and this is a this is a very prominent uh, 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 concept a new pro, new rhetoric concept but the idea of transformation that you're basically transforming things by calling them something different or by arguing that they're different than they than someone else thinks they are mm-hmm. um that's it. So it's it's just fascinating. Yeah. I, Similar to this is the argument of transitivity, right? Which essentially uh, uh, presupposes a kind of a triangle, uh, a with yeah. with the same angles, right? Saying that if the two angles of the triangle are the same, the third one will be the same too, because that's how triangles function. Euclid, right. Euclidean geometry and um, <clears throat> the argument, for example. Uh, my friends, uh, your friends, uh, my uh, my friends' friends are my friends, right? So anyone who's uh, whom my best friend who, who considers only the best of people as his friends, they will also be my friends because that's the quality okay. of a person that I recognize, right? So, um, and of course that may yeah. not be true because there can can be differences. Or uh, yeah. my enemy's enemy is my friend, right? Anyone willing to fight against Hitler is our ally. Well, we'll see how that works out with Russia now, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. And the interesting thing is, it's not just about humans and 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 ideas either. I mean, I mean, you know, the Euclidean geometry. There's a non-Euclidean geometry. I mean, you take that triangle and you put it near a black hole, and it's going to it's going to distort significantly. That gravity itself distorts, right. you know. And so, I mean. Uh, I, it, it, you know, it's not that nothing is true. It's it's a, in a sense, it's that everything is true if you can make a good argument for it. You know, and here we have in the new rhetoric all the different ways that you can you can argue, mm-hmm. uh, but developed far and beyond what it, what existed and in such detail. Um, yeah, this, this really, geometrical, really... this kind of like uh, spatial thinking is also inherent, I think, in the next part, which is the inclusion of the part in the whole, right? Oh, this yeah. is this is very typical for uh, patriotic rhetoric, right? Where the the right. one is sacrificed for something bigger than itself. So, um, Thomas Jefferson. What signify a few lives lost in a century or two? The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is its natural manure, right? The tree of liberty is the larger thing, and we're just manure for it, right? And that's that that's that's a function. We are included as manure into the into the 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 liberty, and by that the tree of liberty grows, right? So we're we become a part of liberty by 
by being right. destroyed in the struggle for liberty. Right. I thought we were stardust. <laughs> <laughs> or, or John Adams, what he says, um, at as he argues for the passing of the Declaration of Independence, if it be the pleasure of heaven that my country shall require the poor offering of my life, the victim shall be ready. But while I do live, let me have a country, or at least the hope of a country, and that a free country. But whatever may be our fate, be assured that this declaration will stand. It may cost treasure and it may cost blood, but it will stand and it will richly compensate for both. Through the thick gloom of the present, I see the brightness of the future as the sun in heaven. We shall make this a glorious and immortal day. When we are in our graves, our children will honor it. They will celebrate it with thanksgiving, with festivity, with bonfires and illuminations. Before God, I believe the hour is come. My judgment approves this measure, and my whole heart is in it. All that I have and all that I am and all that I hope in this life, I am now ready here to stake upon it, and I leave off as I began, that live or die, survive or perish. I am for the declaration. It is my living sentiment, and by the blessing of God, it shall be my dying sentiment. Independence now and independence forever. Right? He's subordinating himself to this greater goal of a free country. So the part included in the whole. Yeah, I, you know, I point out. I mean, these people were educated rhetorically. <laughs> rhetorically. He loved. He loved Demosthenes. Oh, he loved Demosthenes. Amazing. Yeah, He's, he he says to know. his son, "Read Demosthenes. It is great for the patriotic spirit." <laughs> you know, yeah. They, I mean, they really, they they really were brilliant and brilliant rhetorically. I mean, just the way that speech builds and the ref, you know, eventually, you know, referencing God and I mean, it's just the cli, you know, the, the figure of climax, right? The way you build the speech and it intensifies, uh, you know, and it can be used for good. As it here, here we assume independence is a good thing mm -hmm. here. Or it could be used for evil, the way Hitler wrote, I mean, you know, started. The current um, oh, and submission the of the individual to the state in Russia is just abhorrent. Oh, um, it is like, yeah, just, just talking about how nobody can die as Russians. Like the Russians have the ability to die with patience uh, beyond, and we can outlast any civilization, any nation. Because we don't, we we will not flinch at giving our our lives in a useless pursuit of whatever we want, um, um, and and that's honored. That's really, yeah. And and yeah. and uh, the way to diffuse this, of course, is the argument um, that questions inclusion, right? By showing, for example, the presence or the present uh, or the actual over this larger concept, because. The the whole is an abstraction, right? It's not it's not real in the sense that it's something physical, right? Even right. the nation that they were hoping for, the United States of America, was an abstraction at the time. Still is, <laughs> <laughs> right? So they say like, well, what is a nation? It's an abstract concept, a gigantic myth. It's unreal, right? A lot of uh, poets have argued these things, right? Saying that uh, what is real is what we have. We have each other. We care for each other. The individuals, one to one. That's all we can say. Let the big men and masses have their war. I just want to live, right? Yeah. Um, Bobby Darren, a simple song of freedom. Have you seen, heard that one? No. Oh well, I may have, but I come don't and remember. sing a simple song of freedom. Sing it like you've never sung before. And in the it, one verse is there. In there is um, now. Uh, no doubt, there are some people who enjoy battle, like prime ministers, presidents, and kings. 
So let us build them shelves where they can fight it off among themselves and leave the people here who want to sing. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. great that, was, that was in the early 1960s, like way to kind yeah. of like uh, undermine the war rhetoric, right? Right, 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 right. Um, and now make me think of the 1920s and the, and the, you know, in the United States and the... I mean, in, in know, John, Dick John Dickinson, who was opposed to the Declaration of the Independence, he, he relies on this a bit, right? He talks about the present, you know, the, the war will be carried on with more severity now. We'll have the burning of towns, the setting loose of Indians on our frontiers. That this all has not been done, it will be done. Boston might, may well be burned to the ground, you know, talking about the the present, the real things we know. All these other things are just hopes of a potential future that may never come, right? Right. That ability to classify and to compartmentalize so fundamental to everything we do as humans, everything we understand, history, civilization itself, you know, um, uh, and then there's the argument by division, and this is the argument in some ways. If one is patriotism, the argument of division is the argument of war, right? right. You're either with us or you're against us. That's the argument by division, right? It's either us or them. Yeah. Either you either support us or you support the terrorists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which, you know, is an acceptance of either or, which, like, I, you know, I mean, one could one could try to refute that, uh, but it's difficult. Um, and you know, uh, you could yeah, you, you could conceal it and also attack it based on the differences between contraries and contradictions and what can exist. I mean, I mean, it's, it's the it's the basic uh, function of demagoguery, right? Is is uh, is bl uh, dumbing everything down to black and white and us versus them. That's right. And, That's right. Um, with the, the yeah. current, what do you say, the current uh, uh, MAGA cult in America, and you have to call it that. <laughs> on the one hand, you have patriots, and the other hand, you have uh, uh, pedophile Satanists. Yeah. All right, and uh, it's it's yeah. us, it's us or them, and uh, if we don't destroy them, they will destroy us. Yes, and and it's agonistic or uh, antagonistic thinking, right? That uh, good yeah. versus evil, it's us versus them. Yes, uh, you know, and 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 in embodied in figures like antithesis, but you know, figures of speech. But you know, I, I mean, one wonders. I wonder how much they believe this. We know, for instance, that you know, Fox News in the United States, you know, where they were saying one thing. Yes, the election was stolen. The Democrats want Republicans dead. Yeah, you know, and that, then, that was yes. uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene just uh, the other week. Right. And then on the other hand, it's like, this is, this is BS. I mean, they'd say off air and uh, yeah. you know, Fox. I mean, and so it's like, do you believe this? Are you just, are you just playing on people? Cause there are people obviously who believe it. Hence the insurrection. And it was an insurrection, but there's a question. Oh no, Definition. that was just right. tourists, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, you have something in between. No, it's just, it was just a protest, or it was just a riot. You could see it gets more and more intense. You know, it was insurrection, it was an attempt to throw overthrow the government. You know, and and you know, and at what point it violates a law that then can be like seditious conspiracy. I mean, I mean, the way of uh, the way of disrupting this in some ways is to you complicate the you complicate the the uh, the categories, right? Um, right. Say so like, right. okay, you're either with us or against us. Really? Are, are are is Switzerland against us now? 
<laughs> you know, just because they're they're out of the war, just because they're pacifist. Is Switzerland against us now? You know, like even people that talk about like, you know, the the Americans they currently are like fantasizing about a civil war. It's like really, you're gonna go kill your neighbor just because it didn't vote the way you did? Really, the ones that uh, you know you go to soccer training together with the kids? Yeah, you're gonna kill them? Really? Yeah. You know, yeah. Or is that is that is that because everyone always like fantasizes about this kind of conglomerate them that's versus us right and as soon as you complicate that that category you can diffuse some of the tension or the violence yeah yeah i hope so um hopefully hope so. right <laughs> yeah i mean if if there is some kind of, i mean there's a lot of violence in the united states right i mean now. I, i'm, I'm wor really worried about some of the shootings that have been happening where you know oh. this guy went to the wrong house and got shot because of that because uh that. and then but some of it is ideologically motivated or racist or racially right, motivated because people are scared so that everyone that comes into my drive yard must be someone out to kill me right and especially elderly people with guns um <laughs> amazing has happened a, a lot i know i had a friend who say oh but you know how how are you going to have our uh you know a civil war you know with you know, how are we going to station like a, a soldier at every street corner? It really doesn't take that, you know. Uh, I mean, a couple of big explosions, you know, uh, to to wreck. Get people scared and, enough. Yeah. And yes, and 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 people. I mean, yes, I'm afraid. I mean, I'll, I'll admit. Well, it. I mean, I'm just terrible. just just Jewish um, history, right? Yeah. Is that they yeah. were part of society. Um, there was a Jewish minister in the Weimar government, you know, uh, yeah. well-respected part of society, and then suddenly they become the uh, unhumans, right? The the one the things that suddenly can't be treated as humans anymore. And you had right. neighbors suddenly treat you as subhumans, uh, something right. that could be cast out and a category rather than than seeing you as right. a human. It's interesting. I've been, of course, in his, uh, in my career, I've, I've I've looked at the Holocaust, and and this has been an important part of uh, my discussion of ethics. But, um, yeah, I have I have a list um, of the laws that were passed after Hitler became uh, came to power in 1933. Mm -hmm. And, and they were all designed one by one, almost daily or every other day, to strip some right from uh, from Jews and from other people that they, the right didn't want to mm -hmm. be a part of the Reich. And what you when you once you get to citizenship, once you strip citizenship, you're no longer protected by the state. You become stateless. And then, and then it's an easy thing from there to do anything you want with people. And that you know, it's so discussions of immigration—they're so complex. Mm -hmm. But it's all you know. It's like you have no state protecting you. And of course, Giorgio Agamben talks about this and means without ends. And in you would witness to Auschwitz. I mean, where where you strip the human of citizenship, then you can strip them of humanity. But you've got to get rid of the the things, the laws that protect them first. Mm, right. This is Foucault as well. You've got to get rid of the things that that protect them, and then once you get that, then you can take their humanity away, and then everything else is possible. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. The last category here of the quasi-logical <laughs> arguments is uh, yes. weights and measure and probabilities, where essentially we try mm -hmm. to find different ways of kind of uh, categorizing the relative value of something or the relative risk or the relative probability of something. Um, and all of these are are subjective, but we have to still use them to a certain extent. Um, right. I mean, to a certain extent, right? We have the argument of sacrifice. You know, like, um, right. come on, oh, yes. we've we've worked so hard to get you through college. You can do this. You know, <laughs> we've sacrificed so much. It's where yes. that's where it's you know like or or there was so much that was was put into this, there's so much at stake here, there's so much that people have sacrificed for this. Um, you know, um, don't throw away your democracy. Imagine all the people that have died for it, you know? Exactly. The, uh, the it, sacrifice, it, it's it's not obviously something you can measure numerically, but it's still a something that carries weight. Very powerful. I, and I would say, you know, for secular Jews anyway, um, of which I'm, you know, becoming one again, I keep going back and forth a little bit. <laughs> it's what holds you to the faith. It's like, well, how can I how can I leave this religion where there's been so much suffering and sacrifice? And then the Holocaust, you know. Mm -hmm. Like Can I spit on the know, graves of the people that died for their religion? It's very tough. Very yeah. tough to that argument. And whether it's the small one or, or the <laughs> really large ones, historical ones. I mean, of course, uh, there's uh, there's ways this can be abused, too. If, I don't know if you've seen the re recent version of King Kong. <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, Peter Jackson uh, Peter Jackson made that one, but it's uh, with Jack Black, and it's uh, essentially this, uh, this movie director, and he's uh, filming on this island where King Kong is and all these other things. And he keeps losing people of his crew, and they keep dying. And he motivates the rest by saying, and their sacrifice shall not be in vain. And his sacrifice shall not be in vain. And his sacrifice shall not be in vain. And now that so many have died, we have to do this. <laughs> and they keep dying, right? That's a great, yeah, that's a so that's great argument example. of sacrifice taken to a kind of ridiculous extent. Yes, re yes, ridiculous and and funny, and that thank goodness we we could end we could end that discussion on something more uh, humorous than the Holocaust. But yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, then, and, you know, and then they, the last uh, one is the argument of kind of probability, where again, uh, probability is not in metrics, but but different ways we can argue about something being probable or more likely to happen, right? Um, uh, whether or not. Democracy always makes the right decisions. No, never, nobody says that. But um, just in general, in human societies, it's it's the minorities or or individual people that make the ideas to do a school shooting, and the majority want to try to not do stuff like that, right? Except I, for, of I, course, when entire countries decide to do genocides. But you know, <laughs> just saying aside from that. But this, the probable is that you know, the people together, there'll be more safeguards there to make better decisions. No guarantees, but probability. Uh, and all we'll these, as as Perlman says, all these techniques presuppose the reduction of a problem to only one of its aspects, yes. non-calculable, like numerically, but capable of, evalu of evaluation in terms of, for example, frequency. Um, right. Second Amendment rights. Right. But this reduction can lead to the disregard of other possibly essential aspects. So it's it's right. not it's not a it's not a um, 
panacea. It doesn't have to always be right, but it's um, but it's something that we we do use and that uh, we can use with with benefit. Like we we use these things to triangulate our decisions as as a public. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Well, I, you know, uh, I could say more about that, but I think. <laughs> I think uh, well, know, let's let's move into the next structure. Where argument, all of these are the quadratological arguments. All of these are about like the basic structures of our mind. We think about right. things spatially. We think about things in terms of comparison. Um, all these are basic forms. Where Kenneth Burke would probably say, like, I wish I could remember. He says this. I wish I could remember what. I did when I first started to learn thought to learn language he says because I wish I could remember what the basic forms were that informed some of those structures um, but he, he gives us some some tips to them right like the idea of, of crescendo is biological we have this yeah. in our experience of the cycle of a storm the falling of acceleration of a falling body uh, the the cycle of a sex, sexual act right at least for men <laughs> you know oh, the, the, the the experience of the experience of crescendo right the experience of crescendo that's a basic form it's a biological form uh, our experience of of opposites and similarity yeah. uh, and all of these have been about that the idea of something fitting into a whole right the part in the whole um, the idea of or of something being able to be divided in certain ways. And so from that stems all these arguments. And we can argue right. of them because they fit, they seem logical to us because this is the way we organize the world. Right. These are right. basic cognitive functions. Yeah, very much related to the body in, in um, global space, yeah, right, as opposed to outside of gravity i'm very much related to how we relate to the world uh physically and our body in motion yeah thank you for listening to the rhetorical leadership podcast i hope you will join us again for the next episodes and if you have enjoyed it please consider leaving a review and sharing it with your friends